On today's show, the latest news, some mailbag questions, and a look ahead to a back-to-back at home for the Hawks on Friday and Saturday. All that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1393 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday here in mid to late January. And today's show is going to cover a lot of different things with regard to the latest rumors and the latest stuff about the behind the scenes stuff for the Hawks, trade stuff, uh, some mailbag questions in the middle of the podcast. And then at the end of the show, we'll be covering the back to back the Hawks have starting on Friday with a back-to-back in 48, sorry, 24 hours at Stanford Marina. Not always the usual there, but uh, plenty of basketball action to come over the weekend. Might be a little bit of a shorter episode, but I definitely encourage you to make this podcast, the Lawton Hawks podcast, of course, your first listen each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube on the video side. We've been very busy in this space in recent days. We had two shows on Monday. We had a show last night. We'll have more to come Friday and Saturday with our usual game breakdowns and uh, wall-to-wall stuff there. So please tell a friend about the podcast. Spread the word. And I thank you for listening to today's show. We'll dive in now to some rumor stuff. And again, some of the uh, you know last couple of days I tried to focus on the games and not done as much. On Monday, I did talk a lot about the organizational stuff that's been reported behind the scenes. And uh, you know that's definitely going to be sort of looming over everything at this point in time. But I will say before we get into anything else, I'm recording this podcast on Thursday, January 19th. We are three weeks exactly from the trade deadline. Now, the Hawks don't necessarily have to make a trade in the next three weeks, but they're going to be in rumors pretty much the entire way. I can tell you that right now. And uh, we're basically there. I mean, obviously, we're past the halfway point of the season, and uh, no longer does the rumor mill s- stuff seem so far away because most deals happen in the final week or so before the deadline. And, uh, yeah, we're almost there, three weeks away from, from right now to kind of stage, stage a little bit from what's going to be happening in the coming days. All right. With that said, I got a lot of, lot of mailbag questions about the latest rumors, so instead of answering those, I'm going to kind of just go through them here at the top of the podcast. Jeff Schultz of The Athletic wrote earlier this week a pretty scathing column about Tony Ressler and the Hawks ownership group and the front office situation, basically saying that the issue started at the top, in his opinion, and I I would agree with that, honestly. Uh, That premise is pretty uh, spot on, I think, right now. I used to get yelled at a lot for daring to question Ressler and the ownership group when their approval rating was a lot higher for their ownership group than it is now. Uh, it seems like more of a consensus these days. People are a little bit more frustrated with the Hawks ownership group. Um, obviously, you know, nothing is as black and white as it might seem, but I do agree that you know, there have been some questions starting from the top. And basically, ownership, as my friend Daniel Rue always says, is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA. And the Hawks don't really have a, in, in my mind, what's, what's considered to be a top flight ownership group at this point in time. We'll see. That can change. It's not the worst it's ever been. I know there's been lots of Atlanta Spirit Group jokes flying around in recent days, but that was sort of an interesting column from Jeff. And I've always said about Jeff Schultz, he uh, has a a lot of the best sources in, in, the, uh, in the in the city. He's been around for a long time. Knows a lot of people. And I thought about this stuff on Monday as well, so I won't repeat it all. But some interesting stuff that was in this column from Jeff that I wanted to highlight. He reported that Tony Ressler, quote, became increasingly involved in basketball ops, end quote. And as I've said many times, Ressler was the one that basically demanded big changes after last season. That's not a huge surprise. But it's kind of out there. Um, and look, he can do whatever he wants as the owner. That's something I'll, I will always say. You know, ownership is interesting, like from the, from the fan side, I, I'm often kind of baffled by fans that want to like sort of defend ownership for not spending money and all that stuff. But in, at the end of the day, 
the owner, in particular the majority owner, can do whatever he wants to do. And it goes back to the meddling that I am not a huge fan of as someone on the basketball side of things. Schultz also added one more detail from the, to report it from the AJC earlier this week that I talked about on Monday about wrestler rejecting a trade in the last year, saying in his column, Jeff did, that it was to a Western Conference team, quote, and quote unquote, and it was it was because he did not want to break up the core was the way that it was framed from Tony Wrestler. Now that is very funny because John Collins has been available in trade for basically three years now, and any deal involving him would break up the core. So it it's just a little bit strange. Like if that was actually the reasoning for Wrestler to block a deal involving Collins, um, then basically no deal would have worked for Collins. Um, I'm not sure what it would have said beyond that, but it's just kind of an interesting framing through that lens. I'm still not a place where I can like firmly report what the deal was that, that Wrestler squashed. But I will say the Western Conference thing is pretty uh, interesting because it's been widely reported a few times, including by me confirming it and Mark Stein and other places, that the Hawks and Kings were very close to a deal last summer that would have involved Collins going to Sacramento. I'm not entirely sure. I am not reporting that was the deal. But if you kind of connect the dots, it does make a lot of sense that um, if Wrestler was the one that vetoed that, um, I can tell you this, that deal got close. I've heard that multiple times. That deal was like almost done, if not all the way done. And just months later, they did send Kevin Herter there in a luxury tax avoidance deal that was certainly about money. So we'll see if that was actually the deal. Maybe we'll never know about that. But uh, just interesting stuff. I'm not sure if Wrestler will draw the line this year with the Hawks winning. That's also sort of looming here because if you remember, if you're a longtime Hawks fan, you know, five, six years ago at this point, um, Wrestler famously stepped in to block a deal involving Paul Millsap because the Hawks went on a winning streak in the middle of the season. And that was the year in which they made the playoffs with Dwight Howard, but they were below, um, they had a negative net rating the entire season. They were not a very good basketball team, but Wrestler got a little bit excited because the Hawks won some games midseason and uh, kind of overreached and blocked a deal. Now, that may not happen this year. I think this Hawks team, by the way, this year is better than that Hawks team, so I'm not making that comparison one for one, but uh, it could sort of ebb and flow during the season. And that's why uh, with three weeks to go, we're learning a lot more in the near future. Okay, so that, that's the Schultz column from, from earlier this week. Uh, Shams Rasharania also wrote his inside pass column on Monday morning. And he reported that the Hawks are, quote, in serious talks, end quote, with Chris Grant about a senior advisor role. I talked last week about how the Hawks basically have no one in the front office that has huge experience, um, basically as little front office experience as you, as you pretty much ever see. Well, obviously, Landry Fields has been around for a while now, but uh, between that and Kyle Korver is a first-timer in his role, um, Nick Ressler, of course, prominently involved, etc. Chris Grant would fix some of that experience gap. Definitely a mixed track record for Chris Grant. He was in Cleveland as the GM for a long time, a long while ago. He was a staffer for the Hawks when I was uh, much younger, for about, you know, basically 20 years ago. He's been around the league for a long time. He's currently with the Spurs. Um, that's all I know. I've not heard anything about this, like being done or not being done. But, you know, Chris Grant is a, is a name that's been around for a long time. He would definitely bring that former GM angle. You know, the Hawks used to have Rod Higgins, who had been a former GM. They had Larry Riley, who had been a former GM. Had, they usually have somebody around the organization that's been a former GM in the league. And Chris Grant would sort of check that box. But we'll see if that gets done in the near future. Also, Shams reported that the Jazz are currently the most engaged team on John Collins. Now, it's important to keep in mind, Danny Ainge is the decision maker in Utah. And he is kind of well known for always being in the rumor mill, but also also asking for the moon in trades and also not getting stuff done most of the time. So I have my guard up there just because you're linked to a deal with Danny Ainge. It's not mean there's going to be a deal happening. That's for sure. Shams noted that Malik Beasley, who's an Atlanta product, by the way, locally, uh, and Jared Vanderbilt, uh, quote, could interest, end quote, the Hawks. That's been a popular fake trade package that I've been asked about many, many times in the recent past. I'm not the biggest Beasley guy in the world, but he, does, he definitely has some value for sure. He's a dynamic shooter. Uh, he actually has top five three-point volume in the league this year. He is not afraid 
digging up some shots. Um, having both him and Bogdanovich together does not make a lot of sense to me, um, particularly on defense where Beasley is not very good as long as uh, obviously Bog is not very good at this point either. And also you have Griffin on the roster to develop in the future. I'm not saying you can't have that. You can't have too many wings, but with uh, Beasley basically is a pure shooting guard in my mind as well. Not a great defender, not the greatest fit, unless you're going to move on for Bogey some other way. But anyway, we'll circle back to that if it gets serious in the future, but it's not my favorite package in the world. I have a hard time with that being near turn for Collins, unless it was accompanied by a plan again to move Bogey, but we'll see. Also something about um, from Mark Stein, famously, about a three-team proposal that the Hawks would actually be sending Collins out in to Utah and believe Beasley to Cleveland in that deal with no exact detail, uh, actual details about what the Hawks would be getting back in that hypothetical transaction. He did mention that Karis LeVert, uh, who's currently in Cleveland, would probably be leaving Cleveland in that, in that deal. I'm not sure it's because of uh, him going to the Hawks. And similarly to Beasley, not the best fit in the world. LeVert is a pretty decent player, but not a great fit with what the Hawks need. He definitely has to have the ball to be successful. The Hawks have plenty of on-ball creation with Trey and DeJounte. He's not the greatest knockdown shooter. Uh, defense, defensively, uh, it's kind of below average. And there's a reason why the Cavs are in the market for a three is because LeVert's not a three. He's a, he's a two that needs the ball, etc. So that's kind of where we are right now on the Collins front, other than Shams also reported that the Wizards have interest still in John Collins. No, no big surprise there. It's been noted by multiple reports, including what I have heard behind the scenes, that Washington seems to want Collins, but also not want to trade Kyle Kuzma, which is interesting. Kuzma can, can probably play a little bit of three, but he's mostly a four. Um, and they also have Porzingis, so that's a little bit of a strange alignment. Um, it seems like they have made Rui Hachimura, their former lottery pick, available in trades. Maybe Danny Abdia as well, available in trades. So, Potentially, the Hawks get in the mix there if Washington were to come calling on Collins. I'm not the biggest Rui guy. Um, I think Denny would be interesting as a uh, as a sort of throw-in piece, but we'll see along the lines there. But nothing is imminent right now. Still three weeks to go, and we'll come back to Collins later on in the podcast. Um, oh, one more thing I should say that I forgot to mention now. Uh, Sean Devaney, who used to be at Sporting News and is, uh, I think, is, I think it's at Heavy.com, something like that right now. A credible source for sure. Um, he reported that the Hawks... And uh, and Miami actually had some discussions about John Collins that have, quote, since gone dormant, end quote. It was reported and so, some of the aggregators kind of rounded it up as like an active rumor when Devaney literally wrote that it's dormant at this point in time. But that deal that was discussed at one point would have been Duncan Robinson and, uh, and Caleb Martin to the Hawks. Perhaps with a protected draft pick is what he said as well. Those talks could be rekindled and what he was saying, but there's a, I guess there's some concern about Collins and Bam in Miami. I would be concerned about taking Duncan Robinson's contract if I was the Hawks. I would not want that necessarily. So uh, it's still pretty cold at this stage with regard to John. And one more non-rumor thing um, came from Woj that we'll get into in a second about some stuff that he talked that he said on the TV side on Wednesday. Um, I'm going to get into some of the contract stuff about the Hawks, salary cap, etc. Some mailback questions on the way as well, and then of course a look ahead to the weekend. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking to put a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat, the calories that go along with it, you need to try a Built Bar today. Of course, it's 2023, and one of my goals this year is to be a little bit healthier. And if you're anything like me, you don't give up all the taste that comes along with eating healthier. And Built Bar is a great option to not have to give up the taste to eat healthier this year. And with Built Healthy, it's actually tasty, and they're so delicious that you actually won't even believe that they're actually good for you as well. Built Bars have 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate on the outside. And they come in a ton of awesome flavors. Built Bars taste like a candy bar with only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar to go along with 17 grams of protein. And you also don't want to wait around to get the box that you want right now. For a long time, I've been telling you to order at Built.com, and that's still a great option for you, quite honestly. But you can also 
get them at your local Walmart or local Sam's Club. That's right. Walk into the pharmacy section of a local Walmart and grab a box of built Bars, including a four-bar box of my personal favorite, Cookies and Cream. Or if you're closer to a Sam's, running a 13-bar box. Yes, a 13-bar box from Sam's right now. Make sure to check out built Bar today, no matter what. Walmart, Sam's, Built.com, etc. Start your new year right with built Bar. All right, some mailbag questions to come, but first, some more newsy kind of things. Um, Woj, on TV on Wednesday, you might remember this, the Hawks played on ESPN, at least nationally, on Wednesday, and usually that's a good excuse for the Hawks, uh, sorry, for ESPN to get some uh, some Hawks talk going, in a way they don't usually, if you are not a follower of those national shows, very rarely, there's not a lot of Hawks talk usually. Um, anyway, Woj talked about John Collins in the pregame show of that game, and he indicated, basically, that some teams... Again, some teams view Collins' deal as a, quote, hindrance in trade talks. It's a lot of money, of course, still on the deal for Collins. And he actually said that Utah, going back to what I was saying before about Danny Ainge, might even want a pick to, to take Collins, which is kind of crazy in my mind. That's uh, yeah. it's Danny Ainge being Danny Ainge. I don't really like, sort of roll my eyes about that. But as far as the deal is concerned, I've got a lot of questions in recent days about whether Con- Collins' contract is a positive asset. There's a lot of nuance here. And I've said this before, I'll say it again now. I do think the Hawks, when they signed Collins, should have negotiated harder with Collins. Um, that does not mean that the deal is bad, which we'll come back to, but the Hawks basically had him over a barrel in restrictive free agency. And it's tough because sometimes guys get squeezed. It's not like a pleasant process. Uh, famously, Capella got squeezed pretty bad in, in Houston originally, as a good example in recent years. But basically, I think the Hawks could have signed Collins for a lot less, and there was not a whole lot that, that Collins could have done to sort of avoid that. But Travis Schlenk is more of a, um, I don't know, not, not the hardest negotiator in the world. He's more of a soft negotiator than some. He likes to maintain relationships, etc. And at the end of the day, the Hawks paid him quite a bit of money. Now, yes, it's about $25 million a year over the life of the deal for Collins. But keep in mind, if you've not heard this already, I apologize. And I'll say it one more time now. The cap is going up at a pretty large rate every year. And basically what I would say to you is the easy sort of, I don't know, shortcut way to think about this is that Collins making $25 million a year right now is like making $20 million a year two years ago. Something like that. Um, it's only 19% of the cap as the cap is moving up higher. So it's not as big of a deal as you think it is. Even though it's five years, 125, it's a lot of money. I get all that. But you got you to keep in mind that the cap is going up faster than, the, than, the, than his actual salary is going up. So that's my transition. Just think of him as a $20 million contract instead of $25 million. That's probably a little bit more appropriate for what you're thinking in your, in your brain. And look, I have asked a lot of people about this around the league. Um, I think that Collins is appropriately paid. I think if I had to choose whether he's underpaid or overpaid, I would probably still lean underpaid a little bit. Um, I was still, again, I think he's appropriately paid. So moving on from him and paying, if you're the Hawks, to get off of him should be a total non-starter. That would be a deal that I would rip the Hawks for doing. If they were to treat Collins like a negative asset, that would be a bad, bad, bad approach from the new front office. So anyway, Woj did say that the front office does not see Collins as a guy to just dump and get off that money. That's one report now, but that's a good sign in my mind. He did say that he expects the Collins market to kind of heat up a little bit in the next couple of weeks. And the Hawks are going to be, quote, really active, end quote, in trade talks. But it's interesting because, look, I'm a big Collins proponent. I think he's a very good player. He's been an underrated defensive player this year, all that stuff. And even I don't think it's like a huge bargain on that contract. So that's part of the calculus here is that the Hawks – also want to almost certainly cut money in that deal because famously the Hawks don't want to pay the tax at least this year and moving forward, they're going to have some real tax issues. And so if they don't move on from Collins in the coming days and save some money in that deal, they're going to be up against it. And uh, that's part of this as well. 
Okay, we'll kind of we'll come back to Collins in a minute because there is one more question that, that involves Collins. But let's go away from that for now. Uh, one piece of news is that Donovan Williams, the two-way contract announcement from the Hawks, actually happened a couple of days ago. And interestingly, Mike Scudo, Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype reported that Williams' deal is actually a two-year two-way contract. Now that's not out of the ordinary. Some some guys do that, but most most of these deals are one-year deals. And it's friendly to the team to have him for two years because you can cut him pretty easily if you, if you want to. But also, if, you, if, if it works out very well, you have him very cheap for next year. He's more of a developmental piece than Culver was, who he's replacing. Williams is a 21-year-old with some real upside on the wing if it all were to break right. But obviously, a two-way guy, um, you can't expect too, too much, but it's a good flyer in my mind. And getting him for two years on that two-way, on that two-way deal makes it easier because at the end of this season, they could just kind of write in pencil, or at least write in pen if they want to, that, that Williams is going to be one of their two-way slots for next year. And that kind of helps with the planning process moving forward. I got a question from uh, – I can't, actually don't have the name in front of me, so my apologies. It's about, it about the projections on the Hawks after this four-game winning streak. The Hawks are now, of course – it is what it is. Like, they're 45 games in, 37 games remaining – as soon as they hit the halfway mark, they were 19 and 22. They won four games in a row to get over 500 at 23 and 22. So it's interesting to kind of look at this now versus a week ago. Like, for instance, 538's Raptor model has the Hawks at a 66% chance to make the playoffs as of now. A week ago, it was in the 40% range. So that's a big gap, a big jump, I should say, over one week of time. Raptor is the more player-based of their projections, kind of taking account into the Hawks' talented roster. And that's why they're a little bit higher on the Hawks. Their ELO model, which is more results-based, has the Hawks a little bit lower at 42 wins and a 56% chance to make the playoffs. Still pretty positive there. As far as the East is concerned, though, the Hawks are kind of in the middle tier. Um, there's a clear top five. Boston is in their own tier by the, by most projections right now at number one. And then you have, in some order, the Bucks, the Nets, the Sixers, and the Cavs from two through five. And then the Heat are kind of in that no-man's land at number six because of their past performance and their recent performance. Uh, and then it's sort of the Knicks and the Hawks somewhere in the seven and eight range down to Chicago, Indiana, and Toronto in that, you know, nine, 10, 11 kind of run, kind of group at this point in time. Most systems have the Hawks at like low forties in wins and like a 50 to 60% chance to make the playoffs. And again, that's a lot higher than it was a week ago with four straight wins, but I tend to like that projection. It's not too bad. I think it's a little, if anything, I'd probably leave it a little bit higher than that. I think the Hawks winning 49, 50 games, like I thought preseason is a lot less likely now, but the Hawks have been famously a second half team in the last couple of years, which certainly is on the, uh, on the radar for this year moving forward. All right. Mailbag time. So question from Francis who says is Deandre Hunter making the leap. Now this is interesting because my pal, Andrew Kelly, future who's been on the show many times has been talking about this, about this as well. And my answer to that question is basically kind of, but not all the way in the last nine games. Since Hunter came back from an injury, he missed three games. He's shooting 50, 42%, 42% from three and has about a 60% true shooting mark. It's nine games, but that's obviously really good. 17 points a game in that sample size, and those numbers are obviously very, very solid for DeAndre. I'm a little bit less excited about that because I think a lot of that is tied to just some jump shooting, which he's a decent jump shooter for sure, not like a dynamic one at this point in time. But I think the big thing on the positive side for Hunter this season and also in recent days is, is, is his ability to stay on the floor and defend. He's playing big minutes, and defensively, he's having the best year of his career very clearly in my mind at this point in time. The Hawks are four and a half points better per possessions when Hunter plays versus when he's off the floor, and the advanced metrics like EPM and Raptor, etc., are buying the defense as well. They don't have him as an elite defender, but he's been a pretty good defender, and I think probably really good at times this year. I'm comfortable with that at this point. 
even when you account for his bad rebounding, which is still a problem at this stage, I think he's been a good defender. He's big, he's physical, he's good, he's good positioning wise, and he's gotten a lot more adept off the ball. Uh, he's been a little bit better actually as a rebounder this year. I'll say that it's still bad, but it's been better than it was last year where it was like really, really alarmingly bad in terms of the numbers on, on the glass. It's been just below average this year, maybe even a little bit worse than that, but still not as, not as bad as it was a year ago. Offensively, a little bit more mixed on Hunter. Uh, we are at about 90 games of, over the last two seasons of, of, of Hunter playing, and he's shooting about 38% from three. I trust that. He, I think he's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter. He's a good shooter, and that's all you need out of him, honestly. But the big thing is he's taking a whopping 45% of his shot attempts from either floater range or long mid-range. That is not a good thing for most players. Now, he can take those shots and make them, but he's in the 94th percentile in the percentage of shots taken from the mid-range. And that's like an area where you don't want to be efficiency-wise. He's a pretty good shooter on the shots. Like, honestly, Hunter is going to make like somewhere in the low to mid-40s on long twos, and that is not a bad number, but it's not super efficient either. It's hard to be super efficient overall taking a lot of those shots. A good example of that also is DeJounte Murray, who's even more dynamic than Hunter is, obviously, but has always had some efficiency issues in his career because he takes a lot of long twos. Um, Also, though, Hunter is in the 30th percentile or worse, in both rim frequency and rim accuracy. So basically, he doesn't get to the line, doesn't get to the rim very often. And when he gets there, he's not a very good finisher. And for a guy his size, at 6'8, who's strong and long arms, all that stuff, he should be better than that. And he just isn't at this point in time. Also, he has as many turnovers this year with 48 as he has assists this year, this year, also 48. That's a pretty brutal ratio for someone who plays a lot of a lot of small forward. He plays some four, obviously, but a one-to-one. This is turnover ratio is not good for a perimeter based player. So that, you know, Hunter's never been a great passer or a ball handler. Those are still weaknesses that are, that are in there. So basically in a lot of ways, his strengths and weaknesses are similar to where they were in previous seasons. And in general, offensively, like the metrics don't really like Hunter very much, but a lot of that's tied to his passing and basically the league average is shooting that he does maybe a little bit higher than that at times. But I will say this on a positive side and this sort of on a higher note, he's third on the team in minutes. That's huge. He's the most valuable perimeter defender on the team by a wide margin. And there's just a lot of value to a guy being 6'8", who can play two forward spots. He can play defense. He spots up and makes shots if you, if you ask him to do that. So I wouldn't say he's made a huge leap this year, but you have to feel better about him now than you did a year ago, probably because he's contributing, he's available, he's plugging and playing. I think, again, defensively, he's having the best year of his career pretty solidly. And that's a big deal for this Hawks team. He is definitely not the number one part. That's probably Capella. And maybe even, you know, system-wise, all this stuff. I think Hunter, though, it's been shown he's very important to the defense when he's out there versus when he's not out there. Part of that's who his backups are. But I think it's been an encouraging season for Hunter. I don't think he's making this giant leap. But the player that he's been this year is appropriately paid on that contract, which is kind of – that's all That's all you really needed out of Hunter. I think last year, and we talked about this at the time, that, that extension that he got was speculative. The Hawks needed him to be more available and better to earn that deal. I think he's been more available and better so far. So that's I mean, it's not it's not like blowing you out of the water, but recently he's been better. And for the full season, I think you've seen strides forward from him to where nobody should be like panicking about, about that contract, which is a good thing moving forward for the Hawks. All right, uh, we'll have one or two more mailbag questions in a second, and then we'll get into the end of the podcast, which will be a little bit of a look ahead to the games on Friday and Saturday. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and the NBA is, of course, the centerpiece of this podcast on a daily basis. It's always been out there. 
In 2023, as a uh, basically a busy season in the NBA world, of course, as you might expect, this early in the calendar. And there's also plenty of football out there as well. You have a bunch of NFL playoff action this weekend, plus hockey and college hoops and other action going on all the time. The action never stops, honestly, at Online, And they're the number one source for wagering information, stats, and news this season. You can even get the latest odds and trends for every pro and college league out there at Online. That includes the latest in soccer and golf and esports and tennis and auto racing, horse racing, and much more. Online is also useful in gauging the latest on the Hawks. That includes point spreads and totals and money lines for each and every game. They have player props. They have the futures market covered for division odds and championship odds and conference odds, etc., as well as individual award stuff and more. BetOnline is the fastest, easiest way to get all the stuff you're looking for in the sports betting world. And if you love sports podcasts, you can also find those at BetOnline right now. Check out check out BetOnline either on your mobile device or your computer to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, a question from Austin who says, Can you talk me down? I am livid about Jalen Johnson not playing against Miami, and I don't even care that the Hawks won the game. Um, that question, came, of course, came before Wednesday's game, and then Jalen didn't play much at all on Wednesday either. In fact, he wasn't going to play in that game at all until fa- until foul trouble happened in the second half, and he ended up coming in. I did say this on yesterday's show, but I'll say it again now for anybody that missed it. I was impressed with Jalen coming off the bench cold in the third quarter and being locked in and prepared to play. That's not a small thing. You might think of it as a small thing. All, all these guys are pros, but Jalen being a 21-year-old, not playing in the first half, probably frustrated about that, coming in and playing well and being prepared is, is a really good sign. Anyway... As for the question, my experience is that I will not be able to talk you down about this because I think people are just mad about Jalen Johnson's deployment. Same thing happened last year. Um, even now with Edger Griffin, every night there's someone telling me that he should, they should play more. Young guys, that's just the discussion that always happens. I get all that. I said it last night as well, but I want to, I want to be very clear. If it was up to me, Jalen would play every night. I'll say that one more time. If it was up to me, Jalen would play every night. At least the Hawks should be, in my mind, carving out a first-half run for Jalen Johnson. If he plays well in the first half, you can reevaluate that and play him in the second half. If he struggles in the first half, go ahead and trim down the rotation to eight and roll with that. That's totally fine with me. But instead, they're rolling with that top eight, clearly. Now, I think the top eight is the top eight. I said it before. I still believe that. I think there's a very clear dividing line from the top eight before you get to Jalen at nine on the, on the team pecking order. And that part, I do agree with that sort of evaluation from the staff. And again, Nate Villain. For all of his strengths and weaknesses, he's not, a, he's not a big development guy. He trusts who he trusts, and he's not really going to be someone who cares a lot about anything beyond the game that night. So that's you can certainly argue about that. That's just the reality. So that's the backdrop. It bothers me a little bit less than other people do because I'm, I'm not just going to panic about this. I think Jalen obviously was playing very well before everybody came back, which I think contributes to the outrage about him not playing because he was playing well. And generally, um, I don't get as upset as other people do about like, even within games, like guys playing well and coming out with a hot hand or whatever. Uh, I think it's more variable than that most of the time. Um, I, I do agree, though, again, that it's not ideal to have Jalen playing some of his best basketball and then immediately not playing. Again, I would be playing him if I had to, if I was up, if it was up to me, let's just say. It won't surprise me if he plays a little bit more over the weekend because Bogey is on the injury report, as we'll get into in a second for Friday. He has not been playing a whole lot of back-to-backs in recent days. That's a spot that could open up for him. Obviously, Jalen and Bogey play different positions, but when Bogey is out, Hunter plays more three, obviously. And then you that's more minutes for Jalen at the four. Um, and somebody asked me about his long-term projection with the Hawks. It's hard to answer for Jalen Johnson because the biggest thing is, is Collins on the team? Is O on the team? Is Capella on the team? Because if the Hawks have all three of Collins, Capella, and Okongwu, there aren't that many minutes for Jalen Johnson. I know there's a thought where he could play some three. The Hawks have not done that yet. They have not shown that willingness to do that. Maybe they would with a different coach or whatever. But I think Jalen is a four long-term. 
And I think I'm not saying he can't play moving forward, but if you have those three guys on the team, there's a little bit of a ceiling on what Jalen Johnson can be minutes wise on this roster. If they move things around, obviously the sky's the limit. There's a reason why I like that draft pick quite a bit. Jalen felt a while because he had a pretty, a pretty bad year at Duke, but he was a former top three or four guy in that class. He's extremely talented. We've seen that already. Um, he's still very young as well. He just turned 21 years old about a month ago. So the sky's the limit for Jalen Johnson still. I think um, certainly if I had to guess and poll Hawks fans, I think people might be a little bit too high on him right now for what he actually is. But at the same time, his future is actually very, very impressive. So that's just a typical young player thing. But I'm I'm in on Joe Johnson. I've always liked him. He's a very interesting skill set. I like, I like to see him use more often. And I hope he plays more because, I mean, I guess it's a good problem the Hawks currently have. You want to say that? I'm sure I would not use the problem, the word problem, generally speaking. But the Hawks, when they're all at full strength, Nate's going to lead on those top eight guys. We'll see if Jalen plays a little bit more over the weekend, but I think he's clearly the ninth guy on the roster and we'll see if that sort of leads him to more playing time. But the returns were strong in the few games before everybody came back and uh, he was sort of bumped a little bit down in the picking order as a result. Um, one more question before we get to the preview at the end of the podcast comes from Abdul who says, why would the Hawks trade Collins for cap space? Or is that just a weird rumor? So, I'm not sure where this one came from originally. I know it got some run on local radio and also social media. But the big thing is people, in my experience, sometimes interchange cap space and luxury tax space. And those are not the same thing. So the Hawks have famously avoided the tax this year, as predicted by me over the summer multiple times. If they trade Collins, I do think some of the reason will be to save future money on the tax. But right now, the Hawks are way over the salary cap. Salary cap, salary cap. Way over. Not even close. And I don't think everybody understands that necessarily. You cannot just dump Collins at his salary and then sign someone into his slot. If the Hawks were to dump Collins, they don't have room to do anything else. So this is for next year. But if you just, let's just say there are two teams in the league right now, actually, Indiana and San Antonio that could just take Collins right now in season for nothing back. That's not going to happen, I don't think. But even if they could or they did that, the Hawks would still have $133 million on the books for next year with eight players. One more time. Eight players, 133. The projected salary cap for next year is 133. Exactly. And the Hawks would already be at the cap with half of their roster, basically. So even if you were to say, okay, Bogey opts out, that's $18 million off the books. You would still be at $115 million with seven players. That means you're $18 million short of the cap with seven guys. If you were to sign minimums for seven players, you wouldn't have any cap space to do anything. So basically... The idea that the Hawks could dump Collins and suddenly have salary cap space is a myth. They'd have to do multiple other things, whether it be bogey or get off of Capella or whatever you could say. It's not even worth going through all that right, right now. So let's just let's just say that. Let's be very clear. The Hawks could trade Collins to save money, but that wouldn't be for cap space. That'd be for luxury tax space. And that makes your team worse without the ability to replace that guy. So we'll have much more cap stuff at the end of the deadline and then going into the summer. But there is no world where at least not an easy world where the Hawks could move on from Collins and then suddenly have cap space to sign someone in free agency. That does not exist. And that's the perilous nature of having a lot of money committed because Trey makes the max. DeJounte makes a lot of money. Capella makes a lot of money, uh, et cetera. Even if you were to just, again, take off Collins' salary, they they couldn't just suddenly have a bunch of money to spend at this point in time. And really, they're better off with a mid-level if they do that. So they can still move Collins. As we saw with Kevin Herter, who they had just signed to extension a year before, they moved him for luxury tax maneuverability. And again, I, I think if the Hawks were to move Collins, it will pretty much stun me if they take on money in that deal. I think I think if they do that, they're going to save money in that in that transaction. 
but there you go to answer the question um it's probably just because it's one of those like salary cap nerd things but uh cap space is gone for a while just assume that if you're a hawks fan for a long time now cap space is not really going to be a plan moving forward okay last thing on the show the hawks play a back-to-back on friday and saturday home games against the knicks and the Hornets. The Friday game against New York is uh, much more in view right now. Obviously, we're going to play that one first. Um, New York is the best they've been on offense for about a decade now. The Hawks are also a one and one against the Knicks this season. They split the first two meetings, etc. And the Knicks, weirdly, are awesome on the road. They're number two in the league in net rating and win-loss record on the road this year. Kind of some noise there, but still. Um, offensively, they're pretty good, weirdly. They're top ten in the league. That's a uh, not usual thing for the Knicks. Um, but they add Jalen Brunson a good Julius Randle season, et cetera. They're pretty good, except for shooting. They're a pretty bad shooting team, but they're top five in turnover rate, top three in offensive rebound rate. They have three scores in Randall, Brunson, and Barrett. And the Hawks have had some success against them defensively in the past, for sure, but a different team this year, for sure, with uh, Brunson on it. Uh, defensively, they're pretty good, not elite. Um, they do uh, sort of contest shots at a high level, but uh, they don't really create turnovers at all, which is interesting. So we'll see if the Hawks can sort of take care of the ball. And I had a full preview over on my Patreon as well at patreon.com slash btrolling. But the Hawks are, according to Bet Online right now, four-point favorites at home in that game on Friday. Um, injury stuff, Trey is questionable with the ankle. Not a huge surprise after he left the game on Wednesday. We'll see if that sort of is bothering him enough to keep him out of the lineup on Friday. And then Bogey is questionable with knee soreness. Now that is a question because, uh, famously, as discussed last night, Bogey played 19 straight minutes in the second half on Wednesday. And I'm not telling you, because we'll never know this, that that's why he's maybe unavailable for Friday. But uh, it didn't look great then, and I didn't love it then. And now it looks even worse optically for the Hawks to have played him as much as they did last night and have him be questionable on Friday. I will say, maybe the Hawks will be strategic and rest him on Friday to play him on Saturday because he's not been playing back-to-backs much at all. So that might be part of the plan here, is to rest him Friday and play him Saturday. But even though I know Hawks fans are not the highest on Bogey right now, he helps against the Knicks a lot. His shooting, especially against a team that likes to pack the paint, would be very helpful. Yes, you have Griffin, but um, they don't have a lot of knockdown shooting besides Griffin and Bogey. So to have one of those guys out against New York would be, would be, would be pretty bad in my mind. So we'll see if that all goes. But right now, the Hawks are a small home favorite in that game. The Knicks are playing well this year. They're a good team. Um, they're not incredible, but they're a solid good team and good on the road. So a nice test on Friday for the Hawks. And then Saturday, back-to-back at home, a little bit weird thing there. They have actually have a big rest disadvantage against Charlotte. Charlotte has two days off before that game. They actually don't play again until uh, they play Wednesday and then Saturday. So all that said, the Hornets are bad. So that's part of the calculus here. They're 12 and 34 this year. They're two and eight on the, they're two and eight in the last 10. They're bottom five on offense, bottom five on defense. LaMelo Ball has actually helped them when he, come, when he came back this year after missing much of time. But he's hurt again now. He actually rolled his ankle. I think it looked like pretty bad on Wednesday. So we'll see if that um, impacts him going into Saturday. But no matter what, the Hawks will be favored in that game. I will say, though, first week of the season, the Hawks got blown out of the building by the Hornets at home. So I'm sure that will be a talking point from Nate. Hey, guys, remember this? When the Hornets, who are terrible, beat you by a lot in this in this building. So the Hawks, I think, will be favored in both games. We'll see if they're able to kind of uh, hold serve in that spot. But nothing's ever assured in the NBA. I think the, the median end result is probably 1-1, one one, even if 2-0 and o is more likely than 0-2 and two during the stretch. But we'll see, and we'll have full coverage, as we always do, in between games and then after the game on Saturday as well. All right. A lot of stuff on this podcast, sort of a smorgasbord on this Thursday. Hopefully you got something out of this out of this show. We'll have much more in the future. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out the podcast no matter where you are listening to the, to the show. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Spread the word about the podcast as well. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And I appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you guys after the game on Friday.